Hello and welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press and featuring Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys, Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan. This is part two of our discussion with Brian Michael Bendis. We hope you enjoy. I want to ask you uh, for, for the Jinx World uh, thing. Yeah, let's do One it. One of my favorite things, and this is something we've talked about privately, and you know it's something I am um, obsessed with a little bit about you, is that you grew up. Uh, raised by writers mm-hmm. uh and uh i think i i think i might have wanted to be i think that's what i'm why i'm uh so enamored by it but um it's the i think like the biggest cosmetic difference between us like there's a lot of similarities in the facts of us you know and uh and the things that we like no in the in the actual like where we were no, I, I, ways and stuff and yeah. uh um, I don't mean to put that on you. You don't have to. That's flattering. That was a, that was a, a, sh- a bit of a shock, flattered shock that you would say that. But okay. No, we, we. I think we're here for the same reasons. We like the same things. We're like sure. we we have a, we have similar uh, moralities as far as our creativity goes, and I, and I and I I always admire that about you, and, and, and I, I appreciate I, that. And I would uh, throw that out that that's not a coincidence, but yeah. But you were you have your uh, um uh, um you have your relationship to your parents and growing mm-hmm. up with that. And have you talked have you talked about it a lot on the podcast? No, no. Yeah, I thought so. So um, let's talk about this a little bit, and and. I'm going to ask you about it every 10 years because now I know as a man in my fifties that this, uh, your feelings on this subject will evolve no matter sure. what uh, over time. So I will keep asking you, you're my seven up is what I'm saying. I'm okay. Just yeah. Yeah. I love that. I just watched the last seven up the other uh, 56. I don't know. I'm even, and you just proved it by getting that reference that you knew exactly what. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, as, I, I, as Griffin I is Googling it. I'm quietly <laughs> over there. The, anyway. uh, it's, it's the best. It's the best. Uh, last one made me cry a lot. Um, so what's the question? My relationship to my parents as writers? Have you, that, like, like, uh, how do you think it has affected your, your, your business sense? And, 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 how, and how do you think it's affecting you? And you, you're with other writers. Some of your best friends are writers. So sure. I, like, what do you think that you have in you that you see that's different than others because of it? Um, the, you know, I think it's, when I was a kid, um, my dad was a writer on. Uh, uh, he was a sh- he was a head writer on a, a bunch of network shows that filmed in Canada, and uh, was a, wrote a lot of TV movies. And so he was gone a lot. Um, he was uh, in Toronto, filming in Toronto for six months a year, and then on set for other places. And when he was home, he was writing. He would, you know. I'd go to school. My mom would take me to school. I'd come back and he, you know, he'd be at his desk when I went to school, he'd be at his desk and he'd be at his desk when I go to bed. And I would, you know, he had a record player in his room and I would go in and play records just sitting in his office while he wrote. And like, we didn't, I couldn't talk to him, but I could be there and just be around him. And, and what's the show you think people would know the most? Like what's, what's the credits that? Oh, I, I, I mean, uh, uh, you'd have to be a real student of, uh, 80s police crime okay. stuff. 
Uh, but he wrote a lot of TV movies. If you were a fan of like late 80s, early 90s TV movies, he, it, my dad had a belief that um, you don't do the, he's actually, he had, he got the Writers Guild to give him a plaque because he's the most prolific TV movie writer of all time. And he, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, How many did he write? Like 73 or something. Something, a staggering amount of like hour long. TV yeah, writers. I follow um, Retro something on Twitter and they always got like commercials for like, like these movies that like, you know, it's fascinating. There were so many of them. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing, and it's it's really in hindsight one of those things that I I wish I when my dad was alive I'd asked him more about because I I experienced it very passively, and now obviously it's a, a great source of interest. When did he um, pass? What? When did he pass? Uh, four and a half years ago. Okay. Um. So he got to see you succeed as a writer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, um. Mom, if you're listening, you should earmuffs on this. My mom listens to the podcast sometimes. I have uh, so many questions for your mother. Can we have her on the podcast? 100% she will not, but yes, I would. I Can we would. have her on Jinx World? Can we have uh, <laughs> Mom, mom uh, Brian wants to have you on this podcast. But no, uh, my my dad, this is a little bit of digression, but my dad, when I worked in Marvel, he never understood what it was like he understood that i loved it my whole life and there was like i'm writing the punisher that was the post this is the guy who was on my bedroom door like the mike zach poster on my bedroom door like i'm writing the x-men that was the three jim lee posters above my bed like and he got that but he didn't understand it and he didn't have a way of knowing like and i he's a big he was a big baseball guy so i'd always be like they're the yankees like i, I play for the yankees like i'm on the biggest team you can be on um and uh, when my dad was dying, I was writing on Canny X-Men and, uh, he, uh, he was in hospice and I came and I could give him my first issue of Uncanny X-Men. And it was the first time because he knew my entire life. X-Men was everything to me. And like, there was never a time when I didn't love X-Men and, uh, and I gave it to him and, and he got it that I was doing the thing that was my lifelong dream to do. And it was such a gift to be able to give because, you know, I'm a he was a freelance writer. I'm a freelance writer in a field with a lot less money. Obviously, I think he's always was going to worry about me and be like, is he going to be homeless? Is he going to pull this together? Is he going to have a life? And that was a moment that I could sort of give him this and be like, I wrote this and I just saw it sort of stress it hit, leave right. his body as he was like you're going to be okay and he said that he said you're going to be okay and that like is uh, something fantastic that i hold on to and then he read the issue and the end of my issue of x-men uh cyclops shows up and he hasn't been in the book for years he was dead uh i don't know if you know this someone killed cyclops in the comics what uh, <laughs> yeah that's crazy no, i didn't know they were still publishing x-men that's exciting I didn't... um yes yeah, yeah they brought it back it's a little nostalgia thing uh but cyclops comes back and he's not in uniform and he's just in the you know he's got his glasses on and, and whatever the red glasses and i gave my dad the show and he said to me he's like i'm just gonna ask you he's like it doesn't mean anything to me but what percentage of your audience when they read the book are gonna know who the guy with the red glasses is when he shows up and i was like 100 percent. i was like 100 percent of the audience has been waiting for this for years and he was like everyone knows the guy with red glasses and i was like yes that's like and i didn't know how to do it other than be like Babe Ruth just walked onto the field. Like anybody who appreciates the sport understands like what that is. Um, 
anyway, that was all a digression. But uh, no, but Mon- but even he got it from the way you told the story. Oh shit, something just happened. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, sorry. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, um, the uh, or he thought you just read a really boring comic and a guy with weird sunglasses and <laughs> walked on to end it, and that's not how you should end the story. Um, but the you know I I I had this relationship as a kid where all I knew was that I didn't want to write because it was just all time consuming. You weren't around your family too as much as you'd like to be. You couldn't, you sometimes wouldn't come to dinner when it was served and you'd eat it two hours later cold because you were in a groove and all this stuff. And so I, I just rejected writing for years. But he was home. He wasn't at the studio. He, he was, no, he was never at a studio. He was on set a lot um, mm. when he was doing network TV. And then he would, he would be on location for TV movies a lot. Um, so he was home. I mean, it, it, you know, it's give or take, like he had an apartment in Toronto for a bunch of years because he was there writing and filming and production eight months a year, nine months a year. And like, uh, you know, we'd go up to Toronto. I, I literally leave school. My mom would pick me up on long weekends, pick me up at school and we'd go straight to, you know, JFK and fly up to Toronto for three days just to see my dad. It was very, uh weird existence but when he was home he was often very occupied and that was a thing that i just knew i didn't want (laughs) i just didn't want for my life and uh i went and did other things and i i i worked in music and i toured with bands and did all this stuff Mm -hmm. and then uh i was really burnt out on that and really exhausted and i was like the only other thing i love as much as music is comic books it's the only other thing that's been a constant you writing while you were touring i forget no 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 i wasn't trying to write at all and i i hit a point where i just was like i have to do something else with my life i guess the only other thing i care about is comics i'm gonna figure out how to do this and i didn't know anyone who did it i didn't know anyone who wrote comics and like you talked about like the lightning bolt at being 10 and being like or six or whatever being like i want to make this i it was so foreign to me even though my parents were writers that people wrote the comics like i knew the writers i liked and i had writers i followed but i never thought that i could do it until i was you know in my 20s and was like i need to do something else with my life because i'm gonna work in the music business and i would meet you know you'd meet music executives and you'd meet tour managers and all these different people who hated it who hated the Mm -hmm. job in life and i was like i can't do that i can't become a person who hates the thing i love and so my only other pivot was to go the other thing i love as much and be like i hope i don't grow to hate this and then as soon as I started writing, I was like, oh, no, this is what I was meant to do. This is what my my body wants to do. And so growing up, my relationship to writing was not good. I didn't like it. And then I hit a point where I, I loved it. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've talked to Ethan and Griffin about this of like, I rejected writing because I didn't want to be there when I, you know, I didn't want to be doing 16 hour days. I didn't want to do that. And now I do them all the time. And I, I, I love it because I love what There's I do. Com- there is comfort in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's very, um, it's very weird. Like uh, they really caught me off guard and they were like, you really set out to not do what your dad did. And now you, do it exactly and I, you know but so did your mom your mom my mom's a writer yeah writer and your mom wrote the movie maniac cop no she wrote the movie yeah. maniac which is sorry the well they're not they're maniac uh, totally different movies i they're, they're not they're not totally different maniac 2 was going to pre-production and joe spinell died and they had stuff made so they pivoted and were like we're making maniac cop 
Okay, that's why I connected. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I knew, so same I knew producer, same whatever, but uh, different. They didn't know what to do because they didn't have their lead actor. So they were like, what if he's a cop and he's a maniac? So my mom wrote Maniac. <laughs> um, yeah, my mom does not have... Uh, my mom was an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a book editor. And um, she was not particularly trying to be a writer. And this came across her desk to to write a, write a horror movie uh she'd never it's uh, a little it's a little so what the fuck i'll I'll, I'll write maniac yeah um my mom walked out of uh, you know again mom i'm I'm sorry for putting your dirty laundry on the air but uh my mom walked out of jurassic park when the brontosaurus appears because it was too scary she does not like horror movies she does not want to be around horror movies um the uh she i don't think she's never seen maniac but i don't think she's seen a horror movie since she was you know since psycho probably so fascinating um yeah she didn't know that it was like a movie that people care about but i mean it's a terrible movie but like there are people who deeply love it and no, like, yeah it lives on in its own space for it sure lives on, yeah I, uh and like you know i i i i ran into a guy once who had a tattoo of the poster and i showed it to my mom and she was like why would he do that and i was like he loves it it's a lot of people's favorite movie like people who love slasher films it's an important movie and she just can't wrap her head around it and yeah, uh, fascinating yeah um but my mom, by the time I was a, a, a kid, um, my dad was writing so much that, uh, and, you know, I have an older brother, uh, she was just a homemaker. That was her full-time job. So she, I, my relationship to my mom as a writer, I didn't actually know she wrote, um, I knew she worked as an editor, uh, but when I was 13, me and a couple of my friends used to have a Friday night club where we would, club is a strong word, um, we would just go to the movie store. There was a, there was a video store uh in our neighborhood and uh it's actually the video store that uh it's the fake video store that the exterior on seinfeld is the video store they always shop at (laughs) champagne video that was our video store and um we uh we would just always be like what's the next horror movie you should watch and you know it's like you know at our time at the time it seemed like old you know grizzled guys but now i'm probably like they were probably nyu students who were like 20 but they'd be like oh you have to see this and they would slide us movies that we weren't supposed to rent and we rented Maniac, and the credit comes on, and I and it's not my mom's name; it's uh, <laughs> it's her first initials. And so I I I came back home, and I just casually was like, "Hey, mom, this is really weird. We watched a movie tonight at Dan's house, and the writer had your name. It was C. A. Rosenberg." And I just saw my mom be like, "Okay, take a seat. Like we're gonna have a little talk." And it was like the it was like the sex talk, but it was for the your mom mm-hmm. wrote a slasher movie. <laughs> um you shouldn't have watched it and uh yeah that's how i found out that so but like i don't have a great relationship to my mom as a writer because i didn't see it it wasn't present but that relationship in itself is deeply interesting sure it, it, yeah yeah so yeah and again you like i i'm fascinated how you were rejecting this part of you and then you completely embraced this part of you it's it's uh it's an interesting uh relationship to your creative side. I, I think about it, you know, I have my kids and, you know, you know, Matt and Kelly's kids are all, all together all the time. And, and our, our kids are being raised consumed with story structure. I mean, like, sure. like every like conversations they're not even listening to, which is all we talk about is, is story and this and that. And, and uh, I'm so fascinated by what their relationship to all of this will be when they grow up. 
like you know i because we already see like particularly with my my son can see a story problem coming down the street yeah he, like, and i'm like wow that's really interesting like 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 because like, he's just he's been surrounded by it you know oh, yeah oh so. i mean I, I mean i feel like that from me and my brother have talked about that of just like there are certain things that are like um you know i i, I in some ways i'm almost like is it a nature versus nurture thing like I, that i that i just know this stuff genetically and instinctively but like there are certain things where like i just my entire life have instinctively been able to be like that doesn't work for me but it's also uh, you know i would watch a movie with my dad and we would go to the movies and the walk home he would tell me why it didn't work what didn't work mm -hmm. in it he would analyze it and i would be 10 and then like you know i'd go home and he'd be like okay you we're gonna rent movies this week to watch you get one and i get one and i could go rent you know like watch terminator and then he'd be like and now you're gonna watch sunset boulevard and you're gonna i'm gonna explain why you need to watch sunset boulevard and so i had this like very intense sort of indoctrination into storytelling even though i made it you know was not trying to be a writer it was just what my dad had it's what he knew it's what, I, what he knew yeah. to share with you what yeah, he, yeah. yeah exactly like if he was yeah. a you know if he was a carpenter i feel like i would know a lot about making a cabinet i couldn't tell you the first thing about making a cabinet but i can tell you you know how to do a three-act structure before i ever read a book on that and um it's yeah it's it's an it's an interesting thing to be around right and there's also you know i have a lot of stuff that are like not just stuff that's absorbed but now that now they're now that my dad's passed there's a lot of stuff that like i you know i'll call my brother or my mom and be like what was this anecdote what was that like i need to know this and some of it is lost and that's you know the the, the tragedy of life and some of it is like oh i knew this i always had this anecdote in my head and this is something that i've been using and not realizing and not knowing and that to me is like uh, you know, an indispensable sort of gift that that I was given. Well, and um, the so your mom having kind of a different relationship to writing than your father, right? Mm -hmm. And that relationship maybe was over by the time you're saying by the time. Yeah, she wasn't yeah. writing anything. So what what is her perception of you as as a working writer <laughs> in the world? Um, you know, I think it's. Uh, I'm asking a Jewish son what his the, Jewish mother thinks of him and his choices. The the so I think. My mom was always a worrier. Um, what? She's always worried about me and 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 whatever. And I think it took a long time. There was a lot of like, my mom would give me a lot of like, set your expectations more realistic talk. I mean, it's funny when I started making comics, I was like, I want to do this, and I went to my parents, and I I'm very was very close to my parents, and I'm still very close very close to my mom, and I said to them like, I want to make comics, and they were both like no <laughs> like don't do that yeah. and uh i i and my dad read comics as a kid but it was like you could do anything and he was like i can you could talk to my literary agent you can talk to my tv agent like they'll talk to you like you could, they can introduce you to people and i was like no no i want to make comics and my dad didn't get it and i i went out and i bought him a stack of books and i was like you read these books and let me take you out to dinner after and if you you know if if you read them and I don't have your blessing. We can have a serious conversation about my life choices. And this was a, like a lot of early '90s erotica porn from yeah. It was like, a cherry when pop tart. And you white bread undercover yeah. slot. Oh, that yeah. was a um, No, I mean I can tell you what the books are if you want to know. Sure. Uh, Will Eisner's Contract with God. 
Oh, you hit him hard. You hit him right in the right in the yeah. Jew parts. Uh, Watchmen. Uh, the first the the first big collection of your Daredevil. Oh, that unnecessary, but thank you. <laughs> well, you, you asked. You walked into that one. You can't. No, you can't hit, hit me after contract with God. Just you, I, 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 I gave you Watchmen in between as a buffer, so you could feel a little <laughs> little better. Um, sure, that did it. And uh, and I think Sandman Volume One was the fourth. Uh, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And my parents, like my dad called me and was like, I read it. I, 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 I grew up in New York, but they moved away. So they were like, we're coming into New York. We're going to go to dinner. And I was like, okay. And my dad was like, I read those books. Pack your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and my, my dad and my mom sat, we sat down at a restaurant and my dad said, I read the books. How can we help you? you know what do you need to do this to go on the journey cool. and amazing. so that was a huge thing for me and and meant everything um but my mom i think always worried and always you know uh she doesn't read comics i give her i, I give her everything and at, at a certain point when i hit my marvel doing six books a month she gave me the very kind you don't have to give me every issue <laughs> they're, just like, they're going on a, they're going on a shelf and it's tipping and yeah, i never like, know what to do in that regard you always want to like here i'm really proud of this so i want my mom to have one yeah. but like i need but you know I don't she, know. she oh. gets she gets she cares a lot about the indie stuff so we can never go home four kids what's the first place she like takes and puts on the shelf and it means a lot to her and Mm. Uh, uh, the new issue of you know Joker Puzzle Box. She's kind of like I, I don't need that. Like I don't. Yeah, I'm very happy that you write the Clown Man. Um, but the well, I'm always my also as I was. I you know I'm always blowing off a lot of steam. Like there's there's some truth in even sure. like a, a random issue of Spider Man. You know, particularly Aunt May was my mom, and that's a yeah, dead on yeah. impression. Like my my brother even called me on it and. Uh, and like I'm like I don't think my mom needs to read this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I uh, I write a lot of books about uh, becoming your parents <laughs> inadvertently, and uh, whether that's a good thing or not, I, you know. And I think a lot of it relates to my dad. And but I'm uh, you know like uh, I I don't know if my mom read them. I don't know what she would think. I I think she'd like them. I think she'd she'd understand them. Uh, the one thing that made me laugh was that once we were at dinner and it was me and my brother and my mom and my brother was asking me about, I think what's the furthest place from here. And he was like, you know, how does it end? And I told him the ending. Oh, you have an ending. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I can't write a book if I don't know the end. Okay. Um, no, I thought I, this was a journey that you it, were looking, you'll it, get to when you get there. It's a journey. And the, some of the middle is nebulous, but the, the, the destination we've always known. Uh, but I told, I told in the end and it's, you know, spoil, I, I don't think it's a spoiler if you read the book, there's some sadness in it. There's some sadness along the way. And my mom said, why do you always write stuff that's so sad? And my brother's just like, you fucking wrote maniac. Like, you wrote, like who are you to judge? Like guy gets it shot. Really does a conversation. Yeah. It really does shut down any note from her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that's always my mom's note. It's like, can't you write something that's happy? And I'm like, yeah, I write happy things. No one fucking likes them. Um, the so, uh, but but she's very she's come into the, in the last few years has really come into the like just fully. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. Well, also you I you think. you've now had a consistent career for a while. So for from a parent point of view, oh, this is working. Yeah, I'm not borrowing money from her. So yeah, exactly. No, but you know, like awesome. like okay. it's like like that's uh, I, again my my oldest is just entering the adult world. So I'm like. 
fascinated by like what my place in it is. like well like what i'm like how i'm supposed to support yeah, yeah. And, and get the fuck out of the way and let her do her thing you know what i mean it's yeah. it's, it's really interesting i all right, that's that's that was thanks for sharing all that that was really interesting to me you you do you have a unique um origin story in 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 our in our comic book world and i i just i'm fascinated by it. i yeah i was really i was reminded i never think of it that way because obviously it's just your life and you grew up in it and then i was reminded um when uh william Friedkin just passed mm -hmm. and um i think my dad knew william Friedkin a little bit uh but i had this insanely bizarre william Friedkin story because my dad's two closest friends were heavily involved in Friedkin's projects because my dad's boss when he worked on TV show was Sonny Grasso who's one of the two French Connection cops I know. yep no, and no, no. Sonny, Sonny Grasso was my dad's boss for 11 years and wow. like I grew up with Sonny Grasso like just I knew him and then my dad's best friend his entire life uh was this guy named Randy Jurgensen and Randy Jurgensen is uh was the NYPD liaison to film TV. They, in the 70s, they made a department that was like, oh, people are filming in New York. Let's have a cop there who can like make sure they're not making us look bad and all this stuff. And so he was, uh, he's a consultant on a ton of stuff. And he was a consultant on um, French Connection and all these other things. And he's in a bunch of stuff. He's in Superman and he's in fucking, like just a ton of weird movies where you're like, oh, he's just like has a line. He's in The Godfather and all this stuff. And what's fascinating is that the the weird anecdote i have that comes from randy jurgensen this guy is that uh freaking made the french connection and uh or, or like you know the the french connection happens and 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 randy works on it and then uh freaking goes and makes the exorcist and when he was making the exorcist he he went and and was like i need i need people for the movie and he went to a a hospital in new york and he met this intern who was very like he was like this guy's very strange and i like him and i want to put him in the movie and he put him in the movie and he's actually like the internist who's when they when they take her to the hospital this guy is the internist there and she's uh and and he's in the movie and he has two lines and then uh years later that guy uh was arrested and for for killing someone and in prison, he confessed to being this serial killer who was a killing people in the gay leather community. And that is what the movie Cruising is about. Yeah, the Al Pacino it's, movie. Yeah. 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 Which the cop in the Al Pacino movie is based on, on my dad's friend Randy, who was a wow. consultant and in all these other things because he went undercover for six months in the gay leather community to catch this serial killer. So by the time he made Cruisin, William Friedkin had made movies with both the killer and the cop from the movie. And wow. this is just a story I've known my whole life because Randy Jordan wow. told me when I was like 12 and I'm like, oh, that's weird. And so when Friedkin got I was like told this as like, a, here's a weird anecdote for Twitter. And like, all these people are like, that's insane. And I was like, oh yeah, I have this weird like access to weird trivia sometimes i i'm not joking i'm excited for matthew rosenberg's fablemans i think there's a uh i know i know you haven't seen any movies for the last 10 years I saw okay, all right yeah. Yeah, but uh there there is there is a juicy piece of something here that's that my I best story i already i just told it on your podcast we're done just oh, we're, we're on my podcast now i thought we were yeah. on your podcast you know well right. i'm not let's, go back, let's go back to your podcast 
It's okay. our podcast. Yeah, we're on Sorry, the guys. Oh, damn. It's the Supple Boys. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're on the Supple Cast. The, well, I have a question for you. Yes. That is uh, something that I've always wondered. Ooh. Um, what happened at that last retreat? No, I know what happened at that last retreat. Um, uh, I was in the room staring. Okay, what it. happened at that last retreat? I'm not oh, sure. I'm not. We're not. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna. You, if you want to talk about that, no, I'm not sure I know what happened. That's why I'm asking. Oh, fair enough. Uh, uh, all I can say is that 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 first day when we rode down in the elevator, it was me, Donnie, Ed Brisson, Chip Zdarsky, oh, I don't and know. and Jason Aaron, and. It was four of our first retreats, and I just went, uh, "Jason, is this what it's always like?" And Jason was like, "No, it's never like this." Good. And I'm, I was like, "I'm thrilled." That's what he said. That and I was like, right. "Oh!" And he's like, "No, that was crazy." And yeah. we were like, "Oh," because like I was like, "I think Ed's gonna go get food and not come back." <laughs> like I think Ed was just like, "I don't want any part of this world." And yeah, we were all a little amazing uh, deer in the headlights. No, not I don't have a question about Marvel retreats. I mean, I have a million questions about Marvel retreats, but uh, not for now. My question is about dialogue. All right. And the way you write dialogue, or rather why... I mean, I guess the question is really how... I feel like when I started writing your books, I was like, I've never seen writing like this. And then I realized... I've never seen it in comics, but I think you have contemporaries. I feel like you have, you know, uh, I'd be, I'd be naive to be like, well, these are the people who influenced you or, uh, you know, like, but I can make guesses where I'm like, well, I feel no, like. I mean, Richard Price is the biggest influence that you can, like, when I look uh -huh. back, I go, I go, that's, that's the one I have to wrestle away from uh -huh. to not just flat out imitate all the time. But it, but, 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 you know, at least it's a, a good a good place to be uh sure feeling from but uh yeah i i was gonna say you know the the mammoths and the patty chayefskis and the, the yeah boys. for sure patty chayefsky mammoth uh, mammoth yes a hundred percent but mammoth's been such a bummer the last few years that i, don't, I i've kind of disconnected myself uh -huh. from uh from him because it just you know him and a couple other of our heroes sure. grew up to be like a kind of a bummer so i just uh uh have have uh Decided to thank him for his time in my head headspace and um, moved on to other people more more worthy of it at, at the time. But uh, um, I'm sure I would have felt the same about Patty Chavsky if he was still alive. But uh, um, but but um, I can just enjoy him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The so my question is just like, where did you realize that you could do that in comics? Because I don't. Is there a comic, obviously there's comics writers who influence you, but for your, the way you do dialogue, to me, feels like when it arrives, there's no one doing that. Well, for me, it was like, I grew up, like, so I'm full-on 80s baby, so I grew up um, 70s and 80s, so it's, you know, Simonson, Byrne, Frank Miller, uh, Alan Moore, at sure. the, you know, at the start and the height of their powers, and, and all of them are seemingly... Um, and it did feel like when Frank Miller showed up on Daredevil that everybody got to work. Like everyone in every book at every company said, oh, we're not fucking around anymore. Okay. And got, and got to work. So I'm at a time where everything was elevated beyond, you know, everywhere you went. Right. Uh -huh. So I'm reading Alan Moore stuff in a voice I've never heard in any medium. I've never read a, a, a voice yeah. like Alan Moore's and I never read a, a voice like Howard Chaikin's and, and Chaikin's was the one that was getting me right between the eyes above everyone else's. 
A, because he was doing conversational dialogue. He was um, like, if you remember, like in Times Squared, the conversation had started. You were coming yeah. in the middle of the conversation, catch up or don't, I'm not helping you, right? Yeah. Uh, and I had never seen that before, right? So uh, uh, like, like sit forward and pay attention. Uh, you have work to do. It was yeah. was a, a deep interest to me. And also I found out like how many of these people, not to keep bringing up the subject, how many of these people were Jewish and were using their Jewish voice to express the truth or to get something across, Howard being the most prominent, who was very loudly Jewish. I, um, as a young Jewish man, didn't have a lot of, Jewish heroes or, or something like, like, yeah, you can take this part of you and do this with it. And, um, and, and so that there was that. And the entire time, if you start studying Howard and Frank Miller and Frank Miller was one you could really, for, for those who want to know, it was also a creator that shared a great deal of behind the scenes material. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like a lot of us felt very connected to Daredevil because there were fanzines and magazines and, and books dedicated to how he was doing it and you could study them and he shared and he was in interviews. And in those interviews, he would talk a lot about his influence and only Will Eisner was the only comic book one. Everything else was from outside of comics. So mm -hmm. I kept so many of my heroes kept referring to influences outside of comics over and over and over again. Howard, the, the most, right? Yeah. Even like, you know, like any comics, right? So, uh, uh, so I, I'd, I'd see this. And then I went to a um, documentary with my friend, Izzy. Me, we went to see uh, Sting's Bring on the Night. It was a concert film documentary about the rock star Sting, mm -hmm. who uh, um, I was adored with my whole heart um uh, all through uh the police and uh and his so solo career and this uh a documentary is v is a very arrogant document of a very arrogant musician who is very handsome and very good yeah. so so if if you go yeah you're arrogant but you're you, you got it you're good yeah you you should be uh you're sting and but but so if you can tolerate it it's an it's an excellent thing but in there he talks about how he was in a band and didn't work. And then he got another band and they started figuring out that rock and roll was a bastard medium that stopped imitating other rock bands. Let's look outside rock music for influences. Let's start looking at jazz and opera and country and R&B. And then he realized that of all his heroes, the ones that were pulling things in from outside of music, of, of this medium, of this yeah. genre, and adding to it, even if they weren't commercially successful, they were successful because they had elevated the material. It had, he had something else was invented mm -hmm. and that rock and roll at its heart is a bastard medium that only succeeds when people bring themselves to it and all their influences to it. And literally in the theater, I went, so is comics. God, that I, literally, I was like that. I had an epiphany like in the theater that that's like, so why don't I take my love of, playwriting and cinematography and all the other things that I really, really love outside of comics that are driving me crazy and then, and then put them right in. And then, and, and then all of a sudden I realized like all your heroes have been telling you in any interview, interview you've read since comic scene magazine. Uh -huh. So, um, uh, so yeah, so that was a big epiphany for me. And I, and I started looking outside of comics instead of like, oh, I'll try to be George Perez and fail. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try to be comics Richard Price, and no one will know because no one knows who he is in comics. Uh -huh. so. That's amazing. Um, 
I th- yeah, I think it's fascinating. Well, let me let me turn it to you then. Like the same with you then. What were um, what was what was driving you towards this? And like, like I'll be more specific. I'm very interested in what's influencing your latest creator-owned comic. What's the furthest place from here, right? Because this seems to me, at least from my perspective, a very unique set of influences, like the very outside. And, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you, you sit back for a minute. This is gonna hurt. Uh, I look at it as like a it's an it's a perfect example of a creator-owned comic because it is the two of you mm-hmm. um, elevating each other's craft. Sure. You to create something together that neither of you are capable of separately. 100%. Not that separately you're great, but like, oh, I'm going to do it. Like a Lennon and McCartney. There's Lennon, great. McCartney, great. Put them together. Third thing. You are definitely, you guys absolutely have created the third thing. And in there is a pile of things that are important to you and mm-hmm. Tyler, right? Yeah. And I, you, and it's, I, I I'm not, I'm not, trying to convince you that, that like like this is popular you just i just want you to like it and mm-hmm. and people found it because of your passion and that that was really exciting and 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 then the, you were able to go, oh but you know what you know what could really bring people to this is the music quality of it mm-hmm. and and where i can really share part of myself that is safe and 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 if you like this part of me you will like this book and that's yeah, yeah. a great way to sell a book and it was just really cool to watch you do it I well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. The uh, I I may have talked about this before, but I um, the I fanboy podcast, uh, which is a podcast I really like. I really like those guys, um, and and they've always been super cool to me. And and one of them is a big music guy, and one of them is not uh, as big a music guy. And uh, the one who's a big music guy was like, I really dig this book, and the other one. Uh, said, he's like, you know, I'm sorry, Matt, I'm going to say this, but uh, it doesn't connect with me. I don't get it. Like, I, you act like all these things are innate frames of reference, and I don't get them. And I listen to that, and like, obviously, I want people to buy the book to connect to it, but I also got a, a sort of perverse joy out of being like, yeah, it's not for everybody. Like, this isn't a thing that we, uh, we didn't think this was universal. We weren't making, you know, Star Wars or whatever. We're like, we're making something that felt deeply personal. And like people being like, I don't have these frames of reference. And I don't think you have to have our exact frames of reference for it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have your exact same reference. Sure. But I I like the idea that it feels, it can feel alienating because that means, in some way that validates the idea to me that it's personal, that it's intimate, that I'm like, I, if I go sit on a bus with a hundred people and tell them about my life story, like 80 of them are going to be like, why is this guy talking to me? Like, why should my work feel any different? Like, why should a, a piece of me and my work feel different? Um, but yeah, I think more specifically to get into the influences, I feel like uh, when me and uh, Tyler worked on We Can Never Go Home, but uh he 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 didn't draw it josh hood drew it and it was amazing but he colored uh most of the book and and did a lot of covers for it and and we've been friends for a really long time and four kids was something we worked together in the comic shop that's how we know each other and uh he he was in he was in art school at the time studying under uh david mazzichelli and he was, wow. yeah, and he was uh, Klaus Janssen, uh, assistant to Klaus Janssen. He was it, it, learning to ink under Klaus and studying under David Mazzucchelli. And he had to do a senior project. And uh, I was just in the working in the comic shop 
like just throwing out ideas for books to him all the time because we would work till one in the morning and just be like trying to amuse each other. And I, I basically pitched him for Kids Walking No Bank as an idea. And he came back a week later and was like, I, I can't stop thinking about that book. And then he said, you know, could I do it as my senior project? Would you write an issue as my senior project for me to draw? And I said, yes. And we did it. And it was a lot of us working really closely together to put all the all the stuff we love into it to just be like this is just a love letter to like a ton of things we love and it's like you know uh, from Sidney Lumet and and uh you know Jacques Tardy and just like anything that we liked we were like how can we work this in like there's there's you know people are always like there's Star Wars jokes and then there's like Wes Anderson references and then there's like you know references to fucking Dan Klaus books and we're just like yeah it was just everything and when it, when the, when Four Kids Walking No Bank was coming out, Black Mass who published it were very kind to us. And they were like, you know, you can keep going. The book's doing really well. And we thought about it a lot. And then we're like, no, the ending is the end. Like it, anything else will diminish what we have. And so we liked working with each other. And so we immediately were like, well, let's start the next thing. And um, we started the next project and we got, a name and we had a logo and we had character designs and I had the first issue written and he was starting to rough it out. And I just had this epiphany that I was like, this is just for kids walking to a bank again. Like this is sci-fi for kids walking to a bank. And which isn't a bad pitch, by the way, it's not a bad pitch, but it's not. And I, and I, I called him, I think I called him at three in the morning and he was like, no, it's not. You're wrong. And I was like, it is take a day. And he called me back the next day. And he's like, yeah, it's the same book. And I said, the only, I said, look, there's a safe path to doing the same book twice. People liked it. We'll have more eyes on us. They'll like this one. Like, uh, I was like, but people like this because we were outside our comfort zone and pushing each other to like do something. And I was like, I think that's the reason we liked it. I, you know, I can't speak yeah. to what the audience liked, but what we liked was that we were pushing ourselves. And I said, let's just do that again taking all of the influences and everything we care about that didn't make the cut. So everything that we put on the cutting room floor of like everything from like structure and pacing and, you know, doing an ongoing series to, to just like science fiction elements and, and, you know, um, post-apocalyptic stuff and, and horror elements and like uh, just surrealism and, and all these things that we were, we were like, Let's try and do a book of that. So the book is weird because it's a challenge to us to do stuff that we love that we're not comfortable with that yeah. we've never done. Um, and subsequently, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever worked on. It's, <coughs> well, the, it's the most fun I've ever had on a book. I'm thrilled to hear it. And I'm thrilled that the, the audience has responded to, to it as well. That's really exciting. And um I signed a bunch this weekend. I, th I think I told you that yeah, was like, yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. And, um, but I will say it reminds me of a, a subject that I, I just want to share with you and get your mm -hmm. feelings on. Uh, uh, we grew up as genre babies for sure. And um, came into this business as genre babies, but um, because of the way our culture is, is spinning and the amount of content that's being put out there in all mediums. Mm -hmm. And because there's so much and so many people are trying to do something original with that space that it does feel like over the last few years that genre is kind of evolving into nothing. 
Sure. Like kind of like like dissipating into the ether or or evolving into a new thing. But genre was so important, yeah. such a big part of our our world. And I'm just deeply fascinated by it. But I think um that one of the places it's disappearing from the the fastest is our space, is the mm-hmm. creator own comic space, because that is the space in which people take their biggest swings and try other things and here's yeah here's yeah you can see all that stuff on hulu but here's something you can't see like so so by doing that over and over and over again every month from dozens if not hundreds of places like this genre is like you know almost an endangered species or i feel like it's headed there i was curious what your thoughts were about it and if you felt the same way and the reason i'm asking you is that i feel that your book is an example of that like it's it's got genre parts yeah, but it, it, but but if I had to like point to the genre, like I I don't think apocalyptic would be yeah. like like you you kind of push past that a little bit, you know, like yeah. like so like like what like what genre would you put your book in? And if you could or couldn't, do you? When, here's a very complicated question I already answered for myself, but go ahead. We yeah we also like we you know you when you do a book at Image you have to write the solicit and all this stuff and one of the things mm-hmm. you do is pick your genre. There's like little ca- categories. And I was like, can we have three? And they were like, what? And I was like, can we have three different genres? And they were like, not really. You can have two. And I was like, Funny. I guess we're science fiction, fantasy, and, and like sci-fi. But then one of them is science fiction, fantasy. And I was like, okay, sci-fi, fantasy. And I was like, you know, an adventure? I don't know. But uh, yeah, when we announced the book and we were doing the book and we turned in the first issue to Image, they put us on a panel. And they were like, you know, will you guys come to a panel? And we were like, yeah. And the panel was horror in comics. And we were both like, me and Tyler were like, it's not a horror book. And they were like, that's not a horror book. Like, they were really like, no, it's a horror book. You're making a horror book. And we were like, they were like, it's children in pig masks hunting each other. And kill. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it has horror <laughs> stuff in it. But um, yeah, I think the, I mean, it's fascinating because I, I see what you're saying. I read a lot of comics where I feel like, and maybe you're just reading better comics than me. The I feel like there's a lot of comics I read where they're just where you read it and you're like, I could have just read the last page of the first issue. Well, yeah, and, and that tells me what the premise is, what the genre is, and where we're going. And that feels like that's the thing. I think I think there's an unfair criticism leveled at a lot of comics that they're just movie pitches. Like, and I don't think that's true. I don't think anyone. I, I, I don't either. I, I think they're they're literally pitches they don't think could be movies if someone was inclined to do something like that. You know, yeah. yeah they're, they're, we we still have a couple of weasels yeah. running around looking to, you know, yeah. And uh, and I I meet, an IP up, but uh, yeah, um, I meet I meet them all the time. The screenwriters who are like, oh, maybe I want to do a comic, and I'm like, what comics do you read? And they're like, I don't. And I'm like, eh, if you want to sell your movie that way, maybe start a band and do a progressive rock album about it because that's about you have the same frame of reference like yeah and the same uh same uh um uh possibility of success yeah exactly um but i think i think the genre thing is interesting because i am a big lover of genre i think genre is is great i think being uh I always push back when people are like, oh, well, I like, you know, like elevated horror. I think that's- No, I, I like yeah. genre a great deal. Yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm dedicated yeah, no, to yeah. I'm just fascinated uh, by where it's going. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, I hope we're not losing it overall. I hope it's not something that is disappearing. I think it's a useful 
it might slingshot back to its purest form, like in, mm-hmm. in a way, but it, it doesn't look like that's it could, on the horizon. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it may be that someone comes out with a Godfather like that that just you know captivates everyone, and, and then and then crime is back. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, I I do feel like the the comics, especially comics, is a funny thing. Like two things have always stood out for me in comics, and one is the uh, obsession that so many uh, critics and the audience have in the idea of like tropes as evil as just like evil. Yeah. But see that I, that fa- I, I'm with you on that. I've, I've been dealing with it a very long time and I'm, I'm fascinated by, first of all, most of those people don't know what the word trope means. Sure. They're always using it wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, 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 I, I think it's because I, I genuinely think people come and, and particularly in this market, people come to comics for other mm-hmm. like there's so much story available to them. Like in every medium, you can get all this shit for free on Amazon. And I, I, I just think, and they're still buying monthly comics. They want other, they don't want, I don't want to see anything. I can get all that on Disney plus. I yeah. want, I want something else. So, yeah. and, and, and I, I think they don't, don't even think some of the audience that thinks that doesn't even consciously say that out loud. They're sure. just gravitating towards it, looking for something. They don't know what it is. It's something else, yeah. You know, and I, that fascinates me. And I think about it when we're putting our stuff together. Just it does. I mean, I not particularly our creator-owned comics are not going to be something for everybody. But I just want to look at it and go: Is there genuinely something new in here? Is there like is there yeah. a, a take on this that that would surprise and delight me if I was at the store? And yeah. I, I, I do. I think about it a lot. I I the the other thing that always amuses me in comics is that there are certain genres or even you know like in one case there's certain books where people just act like that space is covered and you don't have to be in that and for the longest time it was like we don't need more superhero comics like marvel (laughs) and dc every base is covered and i'd always be like well astro city's amazing and you know like and point to all these great indie superhero comics and people be like yeah but we're full up and I i was like i don't think we are and the weird, the one that's always struck me as super bizarre is zombie comics. Whenever you mention zombie comics, people are like, well, The Walking Dead. And you're like, I don't understand. There's 200 superhero comics on the shelf. Because honestly, Matthew, just before you walked in the door, there were 200 Walking Dead ripoffs trying to fight. And you should have seen what previews catalog looked like, like yeah. in uh, 2006. Jesus Christ! It was like Walking Dead in the casino, Walking Dead in a space station, Walking Dead. It was, it, and 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 there's always been a, a, a wave of that for certain creators. Sure. Like there was a wave of that for Scott Pilgrim as too. It's yeah, yeah, Scott Pilgrim on Mars, and uh, uh, so and so many of those. And Sin City had that too. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's it's. It, I, I think you're hearing the the, the reaction goes of that, but. That. It- shocking development i think he i think that mindset gets in people's heads in a way that's very strange and i think you get creators who are like well i just can't do a zombie book it has to be zombies in space it has to be zombies and whatever i can't do i can't do a straight take on superheroes by the way hollywood does it too all the time stuff that's completely in 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 nonsensical like a women can't star in you know that kind of Yeah, yeah stuff yeah so it's but I think it's really, I don't know. I, uh, I remember a conversation I had, and this is maybe a digression, but uh, a conversation I had with uh, someone at Marvel when I was there where they talked about how, like, no one buys these books 
for conversations. They don't buy them because the characters are talking to each other. And I said, that's the only reason they buy them. They just don't uh, yeah. know it. I've had that conversation with people and I, and I, I said, and I will, I, I, I think I've proven you wrong. I, I don't, I, I disagree with you. I, I think that they want to like the movies and even the TV shows, which weren't around that sure. much when I was doing it, but even with them, they want to, they want intimacy. Like yeah. that's what, that, and, and not sexual intimacy. I'm talking about conversational. Like yeah. I want a quiet moment with Cyclops. Like I yeah. want to hang with him. I'm not going to get it in the movie. He's going to be running around. They've only got an hour and a half to tell the story. Yeah. But in comics, we can spend a page. Yeah. And, and, and again, if it was all that all the time, it would be ridiculous. Yeah. But, but like these moments, these purely, if some of them are funny and some of them are sad and just moments of real humanity is why people are still buying mainstream comics oh, and where literally all of these characters are on Disney Plus for free. Yeah, and I and I would always say like literally human storytelling is people talking to each other. Everything else play, like you go to mm -hmm. from the verbal story to the theater like the it's conversations. It's like, you know, it's it's the the first plays are conversations. It's all conversations. The sword fights and the cannons and the explosions and the trucks that turn into robots like that's set dressing to make conversations look different and it doesn't matter what the set dressing is if the conversation is good you can just do it and so that's why i'm always like the idea that we're moving away from genre feels dangerous to me in that i feel like it, it puts the idea of the like the elevated pitch above the meat and potatoes of why we like stories Oh, but I will I will argue uh, politely that I don't think it's disappearing so much as evolving into something that we can't see just yet. And I'm interested in what that is and if there's going to be a piece of tech or some kind of just genuine Diary of a Wimpy Kid kind of book that comes along and reveals the next chapter of what we can do sure. narratively or what the audience will accept. I mean, there's always people doing you know, experimental work, but it's what the audience accepts that kind of makes it, you know, yeah, the next chapter. And I, and I think we're just, it just feels like we're just right there. Like it's, it's, it's coming around the, you know, you know, I, Griffin could have it on his desk right now. Like, you know, he's not, yet. But Griffin he's, has it. He's just got energy drinks on his desk. <laughs> um, see, I, I, you know, I, I, is that I, it? Is that the future of comics? Okay. <laughs> It's blurry. I can't tell. The, uh, you know, it's I, all I, mine. We're keeping I, it for ourselves, baby. I I came down very negatively, and I I see your point, and I I I'm thinking about it when you talk about it. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the uh, the show How to with John Wilson on HBO. I haven't. It's on the list. Yeah. Uh, that is a thing that you watch it, and you go, "Oh, he invented a genre. Like he mm -hmm. invented a genre of storytelling that doesn't exist." And I, I sat there and was like, "What are the parallels to this? Like it's collage, but it's narrative collage." And like I asked a bunch of people, I was like, "What is this show? Like, wh what are its contemporaries? What are its peers?" And it's like, "No, it doesn't have contemporaries. It doesn't have oh, peers." I'll have to it's check a, it out tonight. And it's Good yeah, stuff. it's it's a fascinating thing. And I. Uh, I mean, I think it, it goes to, yes, I mean, it goes to what you're saying of like, what are the next steps and what are the next evolutions of what we should be doing and what we should be seeing? And that is, of course, exciting. Um, it's exciting to be making stuff in that. I know that some, some like at the convention last weekend, there was a lot of um, 
concerned about the market and you sure. know there's a lot of people putting out creating their own books and they're worried about their their health and they should be but like also they're like you know they're creator own comics they need some time mm-hmm. you're putting out a new idea in the world and you're actually and you're competing it with batman it's its first it's as it's its first act of life it has to Compete with, compete with the legacy of Batman and yeah. Spider-Man and X-Men all at once on the, for the shelf. And you're asking a lot of it and, and be patient. And, and just because you put it out, doesn't mean it's done, you know? And, and, and so we're, we're talking about that a lot. And it was, uh, you know, people kind of forget that in the, you know, creator on comics, it's like independent film it, it, where this audience is an enormous, but they're passionate. So yeah. give them a break. You know, well, it, it's yeah, it's it, it's an interesting time. That's all. I, I would I would posit, and I've talked about this on the show, and I would like your take on it. And maybe this is a good sort of final summation of things as we as we as we come up on the running long mark or whatever. But I have this idea in my head, and maybe you can speak to it never existing or not being real. But I feel like a great thing we're missing in comics uh is urgency i feel like comics as a medium i mean you know this you write a script and you give it to an artist and a day later you're looking at pages and a month and a half later you're looking at the whole thing and a month after that it's on shelves and no other medium comes close to that like there's nothing else other than journalism or nightly news yeah i was gonna say nightly news is pretty, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty uh, maybe soap operas hit that And, you know, obviously we share a lot in common with them uh, narratively, but, you know, you're not making a movie that speaks to the moment. You're not making a novel that speaks to the moment. You're not making an album that speaks to the moment. And the thing, the, the, the thing that got me thinking about this was, was COVID. And I was just like, maybe no one wants to talk about COVID when it started, but there was nothing. There were no comics that we were like, oh, this is a COVID comic. This is a conversation about COVID. This is about the isolation. This is about sick people this is about global panic this is about whatever and i was like why are we not talking about things in this way we can have a conversation with our audience that is so fast and so frequent and i feel like if comics wants to be competitive in the 21st century for the audience's attention like we're not using our most valuable tool which is the ability to talk quickly about things and honestly well, that's, that's an interesting idea. I, I think some of it has to do with, I mean, yeah, there's certain subjects that I could tweet about right away. Like, like, you know, getting the kind I, I don't know if I'm, I full, I, I, I have my thoughts together yet. Like sometimes I need, you know, just because I can get it out there tomorrow, but I don't know if I'll like it in six months, sure. you know? So, um, so I think there's a bit of that. I, I think, um, Urgency is a good word, but I, I, but I, I think go back to the first thing you said about the intimacy mm-hmm. of, of, I think that's where comics lives and breathes its healthiest space. I mean, it's just you and the reader and it's this close and it's just, it's just, just, you've got their undivided attention until you don't. And, and thinking about that moment with your reader and, and making sure that there's something there to, that, that makes them feel something. I, I think that's, where uh, more creators have spend more time with, I'm including myself in this. I don't, I'm not pointing mm-hmm. fingers at anybody. I, I really think that like, we, like I'm fascinated by how the, the universe of pop culture spins so fast around us and we get to 
do it the way we do it, right? Like there hasn't been much change. That's absolutely fascinating to me. So, I, but I think that, uh, like, I think about comics I made like in 2005 and what the world was like, 2012, what the world was like, 2018, what, the, what I was like, like, like what, like the world felt different in all those times, right? So it's... Um, when you look at a 2005 book that you made, <laughs> do you feel like, Oh, I would do this different now. You just don't look at them at all. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't look, I, I, I'm not one of those people that I never look at it again. Once it comes my way, like, I, yeah. I kind of think that's performative from some writers sure. like, like to do that. But I, uh, um, I don't obsess over what happened in the past, but I'm constantly faced with it all, both, both like at just online and, or, you know, Disney plus is making secret invasion. Now secret invasion is back in my life. Yeah. after 12 years like that's very strange you know it, like it's just it's yeah. it's lovely but it's very peculiar it's just weird like i'm not thinking about scrolls yet they're there yeah. <laughs> they're right up there they're right there on the tv so um um so no but what what i have had the uh experience this year and i think you'd appreciate um uh when what, before the strike happened uh i, I had a I, I i have or had or will maybe have again uh, an overall at Amazon mm -hmm. where we were producing Jinx World uh, uh, material and they pulled the trigger on uh, Jinx uh, for me to write and uh, Michael Shaban to uh, showrun uh, and uh, I yell at uh, um, Waldman. And um, uh, I was uh, just before the strike faced with the job of adapting a writer that I may not be that big a fan of. Mm -hmm. with some time <laughs> like this young guy uh, has some work to do and uh so i'm a, i'm adapting myself from a young age and it is uh very weird yeah <laughs> and i and i also have to uh realize that people liked this that's why they're asking me to adapt it and even if i have some strong opinions on what i would do differently today mm -hmm. and i can do them i have to kind of like realize that yes but yes there's you know so it's a very strange thing i'm so i'm i'm faced with myself in the 90s and <laughs> i i have some words all right i have some feelings i don't think that answers the question you asked me but um no i think it did in a way yeah i know the these things i think it's like every create every generation of creators is like you just have to be in your moment you have to be in your space you have to be very present as a creator right mm -hmm. and 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 some of these things will age well and some of them won't. And, and it's just, it's just, and some of them will speak a truth that you're proud of 10 years later. And some of them you're like, yeah, I feel totally different about that now, but that's how I felt then. I mean, like, you know, that's, it's, uh, it's deeply, it is, it's deeply fascinating to me. I hope you're yeah. hearing that. It just, it's, you know, and what, yeah. like what, watching some of our heroes go through it and watching them like talk about, like I was just on a panel this weekend, listening to Walton Weezy and, Mark Wade talk about the eighties, like it was yesterday. And it was at everything they said was deeply fascinating to me. Yeah. In a world that no longer exists. That world doesn't exist anymore. Not one part of it. Sure. Yeah. So they were writing and creating in a completely different universe than us. Yeah. That's fat. I, I can't get over it. It's just deeply fascinating. And for us, it spins faster than it did for them. Yeah. yeah. Like the eighties were just the whole, the eighties, the, the entire time. It's <laughs> been so much faster for us now. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm always I'm always intrigued by uh, I'm working on a book. Uh, I'm writing a, a comic with my brother, and 
he is constant and he he's a filmmaker and and he makes stuff but he's constantly on edge about like well does this hem too close to what we're doing and like he'll see something and be like is this oh is similar? yeah like is this yeah. is this and i'm like this is going to become come and gone like from the cultural mind like this major motion picture is going to come and go and no one is going to remember and 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 i'm like i don't say that in a reassuring way I say that in just a realistic way. And I'm like, there's going to be two more that feel closer between now and this book. Is it Barbie? Out. Are you writing a Barbie movie with your brother? Yeah. I mean, it's not, movie? we don't, we don't have the name Barbie, but yeah, it's a plastic lady and she is, she likes pink and we'll see. Uh, it's Polly Pocket. You're doing the Polly Pocket movie. Yeah. Okay. There's a Polly Pocket movie, right? They, they announced that there was one. Yeah. Um, no, not we learned movie. the wrong lesson. Here's the Polly Pocket movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I didn't get the Polly Pocket. Big, unfortunately. Sorry. So yeah, no. You auditioned. How is it collaborating with your brother? What's that? Uh, it's amazing. And how old is he? Is he older or younger? Than he's you? older. He's okay. three years older than me. Um, it's amazing, and uh, we don't work the same at all. And we had to have a moment. We were doing it as a screenplay, and um, it wasn't working. And I just finally was like. It should be a comic first. That's what I know how to do. And I'm slowing down our making a movie. And he knows how to do that. And he's made movies and TV shows. And so I was like, I'm just going to, let's just make it as a comic. And he was very reticent at first. And then I talked him into it and he got it. And we're doing it. And it's just this amazing thing of being like, well, we're both our parents' kids. And we were bickering on everything. We were not seeing eye to eye on anything. He was so meticulous on every beat and every moment. And I was so fly by the seat of my pants of like, well, an artist is going to come in and blow our whole world up and we're going to have to reevaluate it issue four. Like we know where we're going, like, let's wing it, let's start. And we sat, we finally were getting so nowhere that we had to sit down. And I was like, I'm really, and I just cards on the table. I said, I'm really jealous of your ability to, meticulously map out and just be like how does this moment speak to theme how does this you know how do, he just everything is so thoughtful and detailed in what he does and he was like i'm and he basically did the same to me and was like i'm so impressed with your ability to just like make things and be creative and shift on a dime and come up with 10 new ideas that are interesting and he's very much a filmmaker where he's like, you make one of these a year. And I'm very much a comic book maker where I was like, you make 40 of these a year. And well, that's, it, it, it is, we have faced that a few times. It, it is comic book people are wired different than yeah. Hollywood people uh, in general. Like, and, and there's just something about we, we have been trained to fly by the seat of our pants yeah. uh, so much that we, we are very good at like getting to the, a strong choice quickly. Yeah. And, 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 and every writer's room I've ever been in, it, it's a much longer conversation. And if I'm ever in the room with another comic person, they're always like, did we do this? Like, yeah. we, like we did this in two minutes. Like, like, like the Marvel room, but like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We like, as soon as you hear a good idea, that's the idea go. Yeah. And I, I, I do like that. I mean, yeah. but that's, that's what I'm talking about, about the urgency sort of just to like, yeah, this is a $4. Like, I think comics still has the, I wonder, I'm thinking about what you said and I, I, I don't want to debate you to death on this, but sure. it, I, I don't know. Maybe comics aren't, aren't a place for urgency in this, in this, in this, in this generation. Mm -hmm. The comics seem to be almost like 
you know, they're, they're jazz albums are like for well, very special people looking for very special story. I mean, I mean you know? yeah, I think, I think about that a lot. I think about that, that, that comics has become a medium that thinks about the graphic novel and sitting on the shelf in perpetuity and like, what's my watchman. And I think I'm still in love with the, what's my watchman? I, I, I'm still in love with the idea of like, you buy it at the drugstore for 10 cents you give it to your friend he gives it to his friend like i'm i'm in love with the disposability of it of like and i think there's a there's a a daringness that comes from that where you're gonna see you're gonna see stan and jack make comics where you're like that didn't work at all but it was fucking (laughs) weird and it was oh no my favorite thing was when we were doing our rereading for superman when we're gearing up for superman and uh uh, matt knew he was going to be doing jimmy olsen Uh he started digging in those old 50s jimmy olsen comics and almost every night there was some text with what the fuck it was like it was always because they were making those comics they were never getting reprinted jimmy is a woman alligator like it's just it's it's it was one weird thing after the other and i was like there's something very magical in knowing you will never write the weirdest jimmy olsen comic no matter what you do you are free of trying yeah you can't do it when i when i started doing my joker stories with frank avia uh with francesco we we i was looking at old joker stories and i was like oh yeah here's one where he um makes something that turns all the fish into having his face and so everyone has fish with his face and i was just like i'm never gonna top that like there's just so much weird nonsense and i and i you know and and like when you're talking about it's jazz albums i uh, you know i've said before like i think so many people think of writing their their lp that lives on in, in forever and i'm like more people need to be making their demo tapes more people need to be like we got in the rehearsal room we jammed out four songs they sound like shit, but they're raw and you can hear them. And here's what they are. Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, that's part of, you know, I'm gearing up to start teaching again next week here in Portland state and, and uh, me and the uh, supple gentleman uh, also uh, teach the, the actual class this mm-hmm. will be a part of. And it is uh, the best part of it is at the end of the semester, I get like 25 comics just like that. Like yeah. I get 25 demo tapes that were made just for me. I get very like of it, like when I literally I snuggle up with them, I get so excited. No one's ever going to read these but me. These are mine for me. It's yeah. so great, and they're it's sometimes half of them are the best I read all year. Yeah, like yeah. as far as like emotion, just like oh, it's there. It's really there. It's just all raw, you know. Yeah. So so yeah, they're there. I you know what Matthew? I do. I think they're there. I think they're coming. I think they're going to come in. It's in, in in a space and in a container different than what we're making right now, but yeah. we'll be both. Um, uh delighted and uh disturbed by uh what what the what the next chapter is and i'm 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 all for it but uh, yeah i do i think i think what we we grew up with the disposable part of it like we grew up like oh this will this will take care of me for a couple of hours and and then i'll decide to you know to put it in the bag on the board if like versus today almost everything is you know, handled so so preciously. I kind of, I just came back from a show where people bring the most precious yeah. cargo, but then every once in a while, and it's always a fourteen year old kid who brings me a miles trade that they look like they wiped their yeah. ass with it. It is ripped to shreds, and I and I, I every it. time I stop what I'm doing and go, this is the nicest thing you could have ever done is bring me this book in this shape because yeah. you fucking 
man, you have not let go of this thing for weeks. And I know that feeling. I have books like that. I know what they mean to me. So when I see it, it's just, it's overwhelming. And I'm again, going not to, not to go full circle, but it's the most humbling thing in the world. When you see someone just like rip the book to shreds and they, they're always the most apologetic too. They're always like, they see their book looks like yeah. shit compared to everyone else's like, you know, perfectly coiffed yeah. CGC you know, bagged and boarded. Yeah. But yeah, it's they always, I, and I was like, stop what I'm doing. I go, no, I, this is, I wish they all looked like this. This is, yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Um, well, I think, right. I think this is a good place to, to call it for. Well, we'll for call it because you want to call it, but honestly, Matthew, I adore you and I could do this all day and I, I, I'm sorry. I, we don't speak more. I, um, I, I could do it uh, all day as well. I, we should do it more often. Maybe we should. And I, again, you are you are one of my favorite people in comics that I don't speak to. So <laughs> well, I appreciate that's a, I'm going to put that on a pillow. That's going to go. I'm going to hang that on my wall. No, this was this is amazing. This is this is a high point for me for sure. Oh, I'm glad. And you and, I'll, and this is a lovely podcast. I, you're you're a little hard on yourself, Bob. Oh yeah, that's sort of the thing. It's a damn. Good thing. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, if you're being serious, it's it's, a, it's one of the best comic book podcasts. You really oh. shouldn't be there. There and, are... and, and I do feel. The archive is going to do a few people some magic. Like yeah. you're, you're, you are going to be like Comic Scene Magazine to like some, <laughs> some creator that needed to hear all the shit. So, well, I was going to say we were cutting all that out, but obviously we're going to leave. No, all that we're in. not. We're well, leaving. No, all I, this is my side of the podcast. I get to say whatever. Right. I want. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Brian. This is awesome. And, right. uh, Thank you so much. Will we make a comic together one day, you and me? Yes. Oh, any, yeah. Literally any day you want to do that, I will do that. Yeah, what would it be? Uh, we should do like like something about comics. It should be like about about Jew, comics. Jewish Jewish. It should be some yeah something Passover, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of part two of our discussion with Brian Michael Bendis. Make sure to check out Masterpiece coming this December, as well as Fortune and Glory the Musical and everything else he's working on by heading over to his substack at jinxworld.com. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.